Welcome to the WellStack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick, the Director of WellStack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Adam Holt, CEO and founder of AssetMap, a software as a process experience for financial professionals who provide advice in the wealth management, investment, tax, and insurance markets. And we'll dive into what all that means in a little bit. But Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Shannon. Awesome to see you as always. <laughs> well, it's been what, about uh, 10 years now? I think we've probably known each other. And it's probably. been about, what, 10 years since you founded AssetMap, right? It has actually been about 10 years. In fact, this coming March is our anniversary. Someone just reminded us this is our anniversary of, of being a legitimate company, not just a hobby project. I <laughs> love it. Well, hey, time flies when you're having fun in wealth tech, right? <laughs> That's true. We know that. <laughs> well, well, I know you. I would love uh, for you just to give our newer listeners uh, to this podcast just a quick overview uh, of who you are and why you created Asset Map and what the journey's really been like building a tech company. Got it. Who I am. I'm crazy, neurotic, and I like being overworked. That's why I started a tech company. Now, I'm a recovering financial professional, been a CFP for 25 years now. In my practice in Philadelphia, I was in asset management, wealth management practice, estate planning, uh, also did corporate benefits. Uh, that practice got to about 25 people, about a billion two of AUM. And we did that on the backbone of this concept called Asset Map, where we were trying to take the complexity out of the conversation that we were having with our typically high net worth business owner clients that said, you know, we're not reading your 80 page report. Thank you very much. And for this huge fee, I don't know, I don't know what it says. So can you summarize it for us? So we were stuck doing executive summaries for everybody. And, and at the end of the day that they, they said they wanted even simpler than that. So we wound up actually creating a framework, which has become asset map, which is a visualization of the entire household and all the financial decisions they're making at the highest level of data. What is it? Where is it? Who controls it? What's the tax wrapper? And of course, if we can do that spatially, people have a much better memory recall. And so they're like, oh, you know that box that, that's over at Vanguard? I need to move that. Or, And all of a sudden, we found out that that we had much better conversations with the visual, Shannon. And, and that really went viral in 2012 when I showed it at my top producer conference, uh, top broker dealer conference. And 20 people said, I, I want to use your platform. I'll just pay you whatever because I'm doing this on a yellow pad. And so that's what happened. And now you look back years later, we've got almost 6,000 advisors around the world using AssetMap and multiple currencies and uh, and uh, languages now, which is really just amazing to me. We have over a million and a quarter people in AssetMap. Um, so it's really, it's amazing to see how this simplicity kind of became something, but it wasn't all roses, right? There's a lot of things we learned about being in fintech over the last 10 years. I mean, it does sound like fun at the end of the day. And I did say, you know, time flies with having fun in wealth tech. And speaking of fun, you know what's coming first, Adam. Stats all, folks. So I want to talk about the number six with you. Well, six million to be exact, because Asset Map recently secured six million in Series B funding. Congratulations, by the way, huge accomplishment. But, but what does this mean in terms of growth for the firm? You know, it was an interesting market in 2021 and 2022. We were getting a lot of inbound interest. If you know or followed what the private equity market or the venture marketplace was in end of 21, we were getting so many requests to exit and to roll up. Uh, and we entertained a couple of them here and there. But we have a really big mission, which is we will literally want to put an asset map on every fridge on the planet. And not every venture firm wants to do that. So we were very selective about who we wanted to partner with in this growth 
growth equity round. It actually turns out it was a series A. We called it a series B because we had done a strategic round, a very small one. So this was just next in the sequence. The, the truth is, is kind of phase of where the company is. We were basically profitable and this was all growth equity. So the, the opportunity to raise came up um, in that crazy marketplace of 2022. And when the markets you know, fell apart, we were in a really interesting predicament which was, do we want to continue down this path or kind of go with our classic 40% a year growth rate, which was you know fine for most of us. Um, and I think we were really strong coming into this, but we actually did something really unique, Shannon. We actually did what we call a community raise. Our existing raise partners were all customers and partners and people who believe in what we're doing. So we went a different route than going our typical vent. And it was really, it's really exciting because now we have aligned partners that are really just share our vision of what we could do in the future. And it's really fun to be part of that. Well, you talk about vision and putting asset maps on every fridge out there, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I want to throw another stat at you that I came across in Schwab's 2021 modern wealth survey mm -hmm. it said only 33% of Americans have a written financial plan. To me, that number seems very low, especially in an era where we're trying to simplify financial plans. And I think it was you that even said, you know, the days of those 80 page reports are dead and we need to make them more engaging. So why the gap still? Yeah, well, I, it's funny because that's that even throws me off. I think 33% is high. I'd be, I'm really surprised to hear that that you know American households have have written plans at the level of 33%. That's got to be a high net worth environment because you still have 20, you know, a, a high percentage of the entire population that can't even cover their emergency reserves. I'm sure they don't have a written financial plan. So let's be honest, the, the financial planning that has been delivered, especially in the United States, has been specifically for high net worth families. The rest of the population is still trying to figure out what is an IRA. I mean, literacy is so abysmal. It's very clear to me why financial planning hasn't been adopted because we're talking about, you know, luxuries when people haven't even addressed their necessities. One of the challenges I think that we've kind of touched on, even though like most financial solutions started in the high net worth space, right? Because they were willing to pay for it, had high expectations. That has really moved throughout the mass market, where I think we've all now have higher expectations of whether it's my how how my app is effective or how fast I can get to the movie I want to watch or if I want to order some food and I want to deliver it. Our expectations of of meeting our needs is so much higher, and why that is relevant is because when it comes to financial uh, guidance and advice, we're starting to see the mass market ask for, "Hey, am I okay?" Am I financially well? Are there questions I should be asking? Do I really even know what is the difference between these different investment choices, let alone insurances or uh, or legal protections? And, and I think you're starting to see people become more aware of the need to get financially fit. And that is replacing what we had been calling financial planning for years, right? The, the movement of financial wellness and literacy is going to overcome this concept that, oh, it's financial planning, like retirement plan distribution, right? I, I just think that that's so myopic and it's time for us to move on. And that's why I think you're seeing a huge change. I noticed in some of the interviews you've been doing recently, this idea towards advice engagement. And it's a, it's a cause that we've been really championing and trying to bring people into. We're not the only ones that are talking about it, but thankfully the like-minded CEOs that are in this space are saying it's true. Advice engagement is where the professional helps the client make better decisions in real time. 
that's really the key to where I think this market's going. And it's why financial planning really, it's almost irrelevant that it has only been adopted at 33%. It's not the future, frankly. So what's the difference then, and maybe you can explain this, between client engagement and financial planning? Because they shouldn't be lumped together. <laughs> you know, it's funny because they are part and parcel to a degree, right? If you did your CFP, your Certified Financial Planner designation, you know that financial planning is legal tax insurance investment decisions, okay? It's the whole structure of your overall well-being with respect to financial decisions. Unfortunately, financial planning tools, which have dominated the space, 80 to 90% of them are purchased for retirement distribution planning, right? Accumulation and distribution planning. Very few of the other modules are ever even run. Life insurance, long-term care, uh, business succession, estate planning, only a small percentage of the population ever even gets this. And so the, the challenge I think is that, that financial planning has become synonymous with as I already said, retirement accumulation and decumulation planning. Why? Well, because the marketplace, our financial professionals make their money on asset management. And frankly, financial planning, as I know well, as that recovering planner, has been actually a sales enablement tool. Watch me, I'll do my financial plan for you and I'll justify how smart I am. So therefore it justifies why you need to work with me. Oh, you know what? I can manage your assets. And, and I say that lovingly because as I can joke, because I actually manage assets and I build a big business on it. But I think it's time to grow up. The reality of our health is that, right, I'm not fit just because I have big muscles, okay? And, and I think that's the thing. It's like, I have an IRA and I have a distribution plan. I've got a financial plan. No, okay, come on. So advice engagement is, is really critical, Shannon, and here's why. All of us as financial professionals are going to experience a lot of pressure from technology direct to consumer. Right? Whether you're going to talk about the chat, GPT, or whether you're going to talk about artificial intelligence or just Excel, okay, the technology is accessible to everybody. And that means they can do their own financial plan. They can run their own numbers. They can go on an app they're given by their employer and tell them whether they're on track for retirement. Where advisors need to make a difference now is to provide guidance and context for real-time decisions that clients are stuck making. Right? They, they're not exactly sure what choice they should make, or when there's a high cost of being wrong and I don't wanna mess it up, I kinda of want validation from another human. So we're gonna see this movement towards the human advisor being more relevant for bigger decisions than just asset allocation, investment management. And so if you think about it, that's the moment of advice engagement, where it's delivered, which means, what does that mean? Advisors need to find a way to move beyond just retirement distribution planning, and talk about all the things in the financial decisions that have physical, tangible implication, as well as emotional and wellness and behavioral implications. And merging those two is going to be really awkward for a lot of people. We're calling that advice engagement because it needs a name. No, I completely agree because there really is this new standard of client expectations. And, you know, I can imagine for advisors, they're probably a bit overwhelmed on what they need to focus on, at least this year and beyond, right? Especially when we're in a very volatile market still, but there's never been a greater need for financial advice. I like to call it the bull market for advice, if you will. Mm. But, you know, what should advisors be focusing on throughout this year, knowing that this is the shift that's happening? That's a great question. I think what we can all focus on is, can we deliver more value without being asked? Can we be proactive for our clients? 
Can we act in their best interests when they weren't thinking about us? And the reason I say this is because, and I think about a lot of the technology that we all use today and we're all used to, and we have no high expectations around. Like, I love that my phone tells me when a meeting is coming up because I'm already busy. I'm doing something else. I appreciate that automated, oh yeah, that's right. I got to get ready. Or if something's coming up or I got to make a call. Now I have set it up that way. It doesn't just do it on its own. Okay. But I think there's an, also an opportunity to know that I have someone in my corner. So if I'm a customer of advice or investment management or insurance, whatever marketplace you're in, what is my advisor doing for me without me asking? Unfortunately, our physicians don't call us out of the blue. Do you, does, I don't know about you. Does your doctor, do you have a doctor? They call you and be like, Hey, you know what? I was thinking about you and what you said about four months ago when I last saw you, have you done anything about that cholesterol? Have you taken this? By the way, you know what? I already sent you a list. It's in your inbox. And there's a couple of different techniques you might want to use. Stop uh, eating the potato chips. I, and blah, blah, blah. I could use the accountability, not going right? to lie. <laughs> I mean, why is that not happening? I think that we have an opportunity. So advisors thinking about this, how could you deliver just one aspect of guidance or insight? We recently rolled out something called signals because we found that advisors weren't running multiple scenarios of plans. For example, they were running retirement plans, but they weren't doing anything to figure out whether people had the right amount of life insurance. So we said, okay, let's build an algorithm. Okay, it's tech. I don't need a human to do that. A formula to say whether you have enough coverage. Red, yellow, green. Okay, don't even give me a number. I don't even need a score. Just make it super Fisher price. And just, can you just tell your clients, by the way, uh, you're kind of red here. We should probably look at this. Being proactive about that I think is really appreciated. It's just like if my shoes are not tied and I'm walking around, like, are you going to point, are you going to be the person who points it out? Or are you going to just, I don't want to talk to the guy. Like, he'll figure it out. He'll trip on his head. The point is that we need to be proactive and help people. That's how we establish the next, the next level of, I think, customer experience. And we need to do it without being asked. Oh, no, I completely agree. And, and when it comes to the future of financial wellness, you know, especially because we are seeing this rise in nuanced and specialized planning, whether it's being more tax efficient, whether it's estate planning, whatever, whatever it may be, as I said, clients are asking for more. So, you know, what are those core components that advisors should be talking about with their clients and maybe what technology should they be using to help with that overall experience? Um, just because I, I imagine that, you know, you, you do, you mentioned that we're focused on that kind of accumulation, decumulation phase. We're mm -hmm. seeing more of that cradle to grave planning for lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what are those kind of core components that advisor at even just a base level should be focused on? There's a framework I came up with a bunch of years ago, which I call the six L's. And it came quite ironically when I was going to speak at a broker dealer conference and the CEO called me up and said, Adam, do me a favor. Can you just not talk about asset map? <laughs> and I said, why, why are you, why am I driving here? And, and on the way I actually said, gosh, what if I don't make it there on time? And what, and is there someone going to cover me? And I, what am I going to do? You know? And I started realizing that these were patterns in driving that were similar to the asset map. But of course, I wound up weaving it in. But the point is, is that I realized that there were these six events that happen in all of our lives. Hopefully, you've planned for them. It's a mess if you don't. And it turns out, I actually figured out they all started with the letter L. So I'm going to just tell them to all advisors. So write this down if you actually have a pencil or a pen or a computer near you. And basically, these are the six events that commonly disrupt our households, but we don't normally plan for it. So um, I typically, Shannon, would would I started using this in my own practice to a great uh, outcome. 
effectively, I would say something like this to all my clients. There are these six events I figured out that happen. I want to figure out whether we are we are in a position to handle these events. So just tell me whether you think we have a good plan, we have no plan, or I need to address a plan. If you have to write a check and we have a liquidity event because the roof blows off or something like that, do you have do you have enough capital to cover? Do you have enough emergency reserves? Yes, no, or Adam, come back with a recommendation. Number two, if we have a long-term disability event, you can't work. Do we have a plan? Yes or no? If we lose a life, like yesterday, do we know what we're doing? Does everybody know where to run? Does we know where the money is? Do we know what to do? Do we have enough? If we don't have a plan, I want to know about it. It turns out if you ask the same question about the next three, long-term care event, what if we have a long-term care event? Who's taking care? Like, what do we do? Does anybody know what to do? Does anybody have a list, a checklist? If no, I'm going to make a plan. Number five, longevity. If we live too long, what are we going to do? And last, if you have a legal or liability attack, that means do you have your documents in order for, as you say, cradle to grave, your wills, your trusts, your guardianship provisions. Is that in order? Do I need to, do I need to save us here? Are we going to be in a mess? Or if you have um, if you have litigious environment, someone's going to sue you because you have a high malpractice environment. Do I need to think about legal protection? So that's the last question is really legal and liability. Those are the uh six events. And I think that it's really critical that advisors are asking this proactively. We figured out a way to automate that in tech, but I think it's very human to ask that question. Oh, absolutely. Well, you heard it here first, folks, the, the six L's. So be sure to write that down. But we we can't talk about advice engagement without touching on behavioral economics. You know, they, they mm -hmm. kind of married together, you know, and from the way I understand it in its simplest terms, it's really just combining the elements of economics and psychology to understand why and how people behave the way they do ultimately out in the real world, which is a hard thing to capture as, as we've learned. And it really differs from those kind of neoclassical economics, which assumes that most people make well-informed decisions. And as we know, we are human and that is not the case. And dealing with money is a sensitive subject because the path isn't always linear. So in your opinion, how can engagement around behavior uh, and change help lower traditional intimidation barriers? A lot of people are just afraid to talk to advisors because they feel like they can't access this industry. There's no question, Shannon, that behavior of the customer and or investor and behavior of the financial advisor is 99% of the outcome, Right. Our choice to talk about things, to bring them up, to reveal things that are somewhat intimidating or maybe uncomfortable, uh, to broach subjects as an advisor that's like death and taxes and things that clients don't want to talk about. And certainly, I think the entire process of the typical intimidation of, let me give you a bunch of technical jargon and show you how smart I am, but to the point where you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. And my report uh, actually mimics that, okay? Because you don't know where what page to look on, 85 or 73, which one? Um, I think the, the the challenge with our industry is that we are asked to provide a very technical service. We believe it's a technical service, as you said, connected to the idea of, of math, right? I want to grow. I don't want to lose. Uh, and it usually has to do with capital. But that's not really what matters so much anymore. And I'm not to say that it, you can ignore the fact that the math doesn't matter. It's really about the meaning. It's the why. Because if you don't address people's why, their behavior ain't going to change, okay? And you have to understand that. So advisors, I think, are really challenged today to create a less intimidating process that focuses less on the engineering value of being technically perfect. That means massive Excel. That's for the back office. That's to justify the, the conclusion you're going to make. 
But the front office experience has to be inclusive. It has to be educational. And one of the things that we've been focusing on at AssetMap is how do we reduce the intimidation barrier by literally getting everybody on the same page? And the best way that we've been able to do that and keep proving this again and again is that when you can take somebody's financial inventory in whatever state without judgment, without red and green, good or bad, and just say, these are the facts and these are the people that matter. Why are we doing what we're doing? What do we care about? And we just ask good questions. And it was interesting. Uh, I just interviewed somebody um, a couple of days ago, and they reminded me of the, of the Stephen Covey's seven habits of successful people. And it said, seek to understand first, and then seek to be understood. And that really begs the question. We have to ask good questions. I think it's going to be incumbent upon advisors to ask better questions like what matters? Where are you going to be? What do you want to be doing? Who's in your life? Who's not in your life? And play it forward and then figure out the finances behind it. Well, speaking of good questions, that's a perfect segue into segment two of this episode, Adam, of Ask Us Anything, where I've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. So let's see who's dropped into the DMs this week. You are a popular guy, I must say. I had to cap it because I had so many questions. So I picked out a few of my favorites with the first one being, what kind of impact is advice engagement having across the wealth management industry? I think it's funny. It's it's having, I'm glad to see it's happening as fast as it is. When we see new entrants in the category and with uh, Kitsis and Iskowitz finally, uh, I think putting, uh, I think real, we'll call it real estate around <laughs> advice engagement. It's moved from being the junk drawer of tech to maybe even uh, the center island uh you know, the drawer you go in all the time. And I, I we kind of know, knew that. I like to think we saw that in advance and are excited to see companies like Bento and FP Alpha. And, and I actually think Holista Plan is in there as well. And uh, and some of the newer entrants and Lumiant, I think that's really cool. Uh, Visit Wealth and gosh, there's a whole bunch of friends. FP Pathfinder, I think that are in that space now. We we all almost were like orphans for years. Like where, what is this specialty planning? I mean, I think even wealth management didn't really know what kind of category to put us in. But I'm glad to see that we're carving it out. And I think we think we all think that it's going to be the most important category on the map because it's the part that's going to justify the human interaction. It's all front office and it's delivering advice in an engaging way that's going to get people involved in making better decisions. That goes all the way back to your behavioral finance question, which is people, when they're empowered, will make better decisions that serve them. Well, speaking of client experience, we actually had a question around that as well. Hmm. And a mutual friend of ours said, uh, I appreciate Adam's views on remote work and think his vision for how and where advisors work and how that impacts the client experience they need to think about creating. He said that would be a fun topic to hear a little bit more about. So give the 30,000 foot view on that. <laughs> Well, remote work, as we always tend to talk about it, or some people call it virtual, I've always argued that it's real work. It's not virtual work. It's very real. And my own firm actually went uh, 10 years ago to a 95% virtual practice for our highest net worth clients because nobody had time to come in and meet you know, after work. And we're not going to people's houses anymore. So virtual made a whole bunch of sense. And, and of course, when the pandemic happened, everybody was forced to do it if you didn't already, but we're not going back. And we knew that 10 years ago. And I think the key to it is it's that the production value of the customer experience, unfortunately, for many people is still really lagging. Um, I still see 
advisors that are, you know, with the zoom up their nose and the fan going in the background and or the, know, you're on of, mute. Yeah, right. You're on <laughs> mute. I even had a cup made that said you're on mute. So I got to hold it up in front of people's faces. But the important part of that is we need to be more mindful of the production value. Pretty much everything, Shannon, has high production value. I mean, we're literally competing with uh, reality television programs right now. And so I think unless you want your audience to get distracted, you really need to work. You need to really create an awesome production because it's the equivalent of your mahogany covered room that used to spend so much time and money in creating this fantastic experience. And now you're relegated to a, you know, four by six screen that could be an iPad or an iPhone or not video or, and I think we need to be more mindful of how we're perceived and if we speak confidently and are we showing visuals that people can read, not just illegible, uh, I see it's a mess watching some people present sometimes. And, and I think we really need to stand out. It's, there's an easy way to do it. And that's to get training and to be mindful of how you're received. All right. Well, last question. And mm. this is a burning one. It seems burning. like on people's minds. <laughs> uh, so will there be another awesome advice tech live conference this year? We might have breaking oh. news here, folks. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the answer is yes. And it will be, thank you. And it will be in the beginning of November. At this point, we're looking at the uh, November 2nd, 3rd. We're going to probably split it now over two days because we had a lot of feedback that people couldn't make most of it. So we're going to split it up. We're almost already full, even though we haven't announced it. Uh, Advice Tech Live is also going to have a very special um, beneficiary this year. As you know, we also as we have a charitable component of it. So we're really excited to announce uh, that. I think everybody will be excited to get behind too. Um, I can't say until until it's legit, but um, that's going to be exciting. And uh, the theme this year is going to be really around uh, empowering our consumers, again, through advice engagement. I think we're seeing everybody's on the bandwagon now, and they realize they need to find a way to elevate the human experience. So uh, let's all do that together. It'll be a fun couple of days together showcasing the newest tech that's being built to support advisors. I'd love to hear that. And I know you mentioned November 2nd. That's my birthday. So I might have, hey, I might be spending perfect. my birthday with you guys then. Love it. Cool. It's a Thursday, I think. So otherwise <laughs> hey, you'd be at work. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> well, great to hear. So there you have it, folks. Advice Live is happening this year. Well, Adam, I appreciate you being put on the spot and being put in the hot seat and your insightful answers. But Thank we've you. come to our final and probably my favorite segment, Stack It or Whack It. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm going to throw out a few technologies. They're not always well tech related. Uh, and you tell me if they're worth the hype or not. Mm. So the first one I want to throw out is the traditional risk tolerance questionnaire. Does it open the avenue for portfolio misalignment or do they just need to be reconsidered at this point? Stack it or whack it? Whack it. <laughs> Wait, is it are these one word answers? I mean, oh no, you can totally elaborate. Most people do give their reasoning. <laughs> the reason, look, the reason that why risk tolerance questionnaires exist is because a compliance department decided that this is validation for supporting why we won't get sued. Okay. It, unfortunately, we all just scaled that process to address the problem of aligning allocation with a perception that is defensible in a court or in an event. And unfortunately, that's not, you don't drive with regulation. Okay. You, you, we need to understand what people's behaviors are. We've seen lots of innovation from Riskalyze and uh, a whole bunch of other companies. Um, I, I think even Tolerisk is pushing that limit too, in terms of going to capacity. I think there's so much more that can be done here, um, but frankly, helping us as advisors figure out you know where people are going to uh, fail and bail and what they're really what's going to serve them I think is a really challenging thing and there's much more human in this than there is uh formula so 
I weigh whack it. <laughs> I haven't gotten enough whack it. So thank you for that. For sure. <laughs> uh, number two, robo advisors. I know it's a broad topic, but mm-hmm. I remember when the, the headlines first came out and it was, they were going to take over. We were going to be, you know, <laughs> the iRobot world yeah. obviously hasn't happened yet. It's been a a bit underwhelming, I would argue, but okay. you know, what does the future look like? Stack whack or even hybrid? <laughs> I don't, you know, I talk about this too much now, which is robo 4.0. That's what I call it. 4.0. I think we're right now in 3.0 and you were right. Robo 1.0. When we first started talking everybody was scared for like a minute. Um, robo 4.0 with chat GPT enabled and having codified the entire CFP journal. I think I think it's some serious serious threat. <laughs> but that being said, it's happening. So you got to it's going to happen whether you like it or not. So you got to embrace it. And frankly, it creates efficiency. So I'm I'm in a I'm in a wait, what are my choices? Whack it or what? Stack, stack it. it? <laughs> yeah, stack that. I'm you know, stack that John. Get that on your <laughs> on your tech stack. Somehow you got to figure out how to, how to create more automation. The whole point is to delegate the stuff that's not worth your hourly rate and do the stuff that is deserving of it. And that means spending more time with people and getting connected to them and finding out what they really care about and being their advocate. Use the robo, use the tech as to support that. So we have one whack, one stack. I'm going to go out on limb here for a tiebreaker. So I'm hoping that you are a sports fan. I know you're a Philly guy. So are you Uh a hockey fan? (laughs) I can be, but it could be, this could get really ugly fast. (laughs) Well, I'm curious, you know, obviously you see what Amazon is doing with um, the next gen stats for all the sports. Now it's pretty incredible. And so I know in hockey, they actually strap sensors to the puck and the players jerseys now to extract Mm. those stats and data. So the coaches can make better decisions during the game. You know, when it comes to sports tech like that Mm. stack or whack, is it, is it data overload or is it now just the the way things are in the, in the future? Cause the more data, the, the, better performance. I'll put it this way. If you could put those same indicators on an advisor in their practice and you could understand what works and what doesn't work, wouldn't you want to know? Yes. Fair. Okay. So stack that, (laughs) stack that on your robo advisor, (laughs) (laughs) stack it on the robo advisor, right? Stepping on top of your, uh, sorry, having a fist fight with your, uh, with risk tolerance. (laughs) There you go. All right. Well, that was the tiebreaker. So Adam, thank you. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, getting to know you more, learning about Asset Map. So please tell listeners where they can find more about Asset Map, what you're up to and where you'll be on the road. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Shannon, for that and appreciate it. Uh, look, if you want to Google Asset Map, you're going to find us. Asset Map is, we're trying to make it a you know name brand and household rec- recognized. Um, and we've got some really exciting stuff coming. But if you want to interact with me, LinkedIn is always the best. So if you just direct message me or uh, connect or do something like that, that's the best way to re- uh, reach out to to us. And of course, if you want to participate in a conversation, get involved in our Rethink podcast, it's been really fun to do that as well. Sounds good. And if you are looking to stay ahead of the technology status quo, don't miss our WealthStack event, part of Wealth Management Edge, May 21st through 24th in Hollywood, Florida. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. So thank you all for listening in today. 